Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the podcast Seeking Happiness with myself, Andrew Milligan, and Didier Sulia. Today, we will be talking to a beautiful young lady called Lucia. Uh, her name, her previous pre-marriage name is Lucia Conlon, uh, and I believe her married name is now Lucia Byrne. And she will be guiding us through her, her workplace and what she does for end-of-life care, which we thought would be a good follow-up to the the podcast that we did with Kathy Rye on midwifery and the start of life. Um, so we're looking now at end of life. We've looked at start of life and what we need to consider for that. And we're just moving on to the end of life care that Lucia does. Didier Stulier, are you out there? I am, my friend. I am. Yes. Yes, it was quite exciting um, podcast with Lucia. She was quite... Um... She was she was she was happy to be on the show, wasn't she? She was really happy to be on the show and to share her knowledge of the NHS and what she does. What I found really interesting was that she's out in the community, so she doesn't seem to be based actually within the hospital. She seems to be out and about most of the time. What do you think, did? Yeah, because I think she mentioned uh, that she's going to cover on the on the on the podcast about dealing with people um, to try to make them stay at home in the, towards the end, of the, the end of their life, uh, especially during COVID. I think that was easier on the, on the hospitals. But uh, yeah, it's a very interesting uh, journey that she has to go through um, that she will explain in a podcast to follow. Yes. And what I thought was really interesting was just the parts where she spoke about people facing death mm-hmm. and that we are as human beings, we're all quite scared of bringing up that topic and talking about death. But that's one of the things that people have to face at the end of their life. And what was very interesting was her explaining that the hardest uh, thing for people is the ones that are left behind, not the person dying or that's very ill. They seem to accept that their, their time on this planet is over. And they they seem to they seem to reach out towards you know the, the next life the afterlife whatever their beliefs are, and it is the hard part is for the people that are left behind. I, that really touched me. What about you, kids? Yeah, and I think uh, it's kind of a selfish uh, way of of human beings to react that way, just to think uh, our life is going to go on without them. Um, yeah, it's very very interesting a subject that. Uh, that needs to be opened up a bit uh, because uh, because it is something that we will have to go through eventually and we should just rejoice of the now, really, right? Yes. Oh, no, all, all of us are going to have to face it at some point. And I think uh, during the interview, I did mention a, a documentary I'd watched with Billy Connolly, the famous Scottish comedian who'd actually done a show where he travelled around the world and saw how different cultures dealt with death. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a really interesting a really interesting part. And Lucia also does give some websites and some people that you can contact. If you're dealing with, with anyone perhaps that's, that's about to pass away or is extremely ill, or you've dealt with that situation in your life where you, you've had someone that's very close to you pass away, and how you can get help, how you can refine happiness. 
by by addressing that and and seeing it in a, in a slightly different way than perhaps you're already you're already seeing it from a different perspective that actually we, we should be celebrating this person's life yes that's right and uh, i think we should uh welcome her on the show now yes so let's move on and let's welcome lucia Okay, hello listeners. Welcome to another edition of the podcast Seeking Happiness with myself, Andrew Milligan, and with Didier Soulier from France. Are you there today, Didier? I am the am I? Yeah, yeah. That was that was really that was really distorted, that sound. Did it? Oh, I was weird because yeah. the microphone is a... Uh... It sounded like this. <laughs> I think that's my, uh, that's my French accent, you see. Um, no, it definitely wasn't your French accent. Was it not? Okay. When I'm no. here. Where are you, buddy? Because you said you had gone to the beach or something like that. I am on the west coast of France, picking up muscles. So uh, I couldn't be... Uh, life couldn't be better. Yeah, and just just for the uh, just for the listeners' appreciation, DDA does need some muscles because he's very skinny. <laughs> uh, see what you've done there. It's very clever. Very clever. See what I did there, mate. That's the English teacher in me. That's that's above you, man. Uh, that's, that's that's well above you. Really yeah. Nice see, day. this is the sort of thing that French people do. They go to the beach and they collect muscles. How very quaint. It's because we've got we've got we've got the good seas around around us, you know. Uh-huh. You, you have, mate. Uh, anyway, let's move on because we've got really good guests today to speak to. We've got uh, a lovely lady. And uh, I know that your name is Lucia, Lucia, but I don't know your, your current surname. <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourself? Look, I'm Elizabeth Taylor. Um, so my current <laughs> surname is Riley. Um, yes. So, yes, that's, that is... I've got a few aliases out there, I'm pretty sure. So I'm really happy to be here. So hi, Andy. Hi, Didier. Alicia. Be kind. Brilliant. <laughs> thanks, 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 Lucia Riley, because I used to know you as Lucia Conlon. So I, I know when you got married, you changed your name. But embarrassingly for me, I couldn't remember what the name was. <laughs> it does sound like an old actress. <laughs> it does sound like an actress. Well, yes. So I'm to, Lou, I'm going to start off with the first uh, the first point that I just want to cover. And I just want you to tell us a little bit about your childhood and about the career choices that maybe you made when you were younger, leading you into your current, your current occupation. Okay. Well, my... Uh, I just don't even... At the moment, I work as a district nurse in the West Midlands. Um I had a fairly normal childhood, 2.4 children, a few pets thrown in there. Um, nothing too dramatic happened to me, thankfully. I've had a really, really lucky upbringing, really good childhood, really good friends that I'm still friends with now. Um, yeah, I mean, quite stable. Um, so went to school, did the whole A-levels, went to uni. I left uni. I ended up just getting a job buy my own like buy my own place um because that's what you could do 25 years ago can't do that today really i suppose um and yeah and just kind of like fell into nursing um after just going out doing our job for about 10 years and uh, 
speaking to one of my really good friends who's a nurse and she was saying you should do it you'd be really good at it so I kind of like got cajoled into doing it started doing the training I thought I'm not going to last in this role at all uh I can't stand blood tests I can't stand any kind of um <laughs> bodily function at all but now here I am um following my training 12 years into the profession and yeah here here I am and I'm still going strong, hanging by a thread, but I'm still, I'm still, you know, I'm still clinging on to it, trying to make a difference. <laughs> Brilliant. Good girl. We need people like you in the NHS. Uh, I'm just going to hand you over to Didier for a second. He's going to ask you a question about your current job. Okay. Yes. Thank you, Andy. Yes, Lucia, can you give us a few details about the job that you are doing now and the man's in, it makes of you? Yeah, okay. So it's a 24 hour, seven day a week job, like all nursing. Um, and we uh, really go out to the housebound people. So anyone who can't get to services um, and really need that, um, you know, that, that support being given to them. So we do perform tasks such as IVs, blood tests, like practical things, dressings, um, health promotion, advice. Um, what else stitchy all that kind of stuff but then we also he heavily um are we, we try and promote good palliative care and we we facilitate people to subsequently pass away at home or uh, pass away in the hospice or wherever they want to do we just kind of facilitate that pathway that people want to go to and just provide people with a bit more choice a bit of education around the subject and support equipment um we provide care packages um yeah i mean it's at the moment uh, in regarding i mean our job hasn't really changed since it started when the nhs started but at the same time it has kind of changed because the obviously the uh, people with with covid a lot of the services closed down so it was kind of all down to us so we became um back to call the midwife days really son's bike but we you know we were just kind of doing it trying to do everything we can to, to keep people at home keep them out of hospital um you know really letting them get support with their uh ongoing long-term conditions um and just yeah just keeping people safe keeping you know yeah. and Lou can I just go back can I just go back to something you you mentioned uh I, I don't know whether you use the term end of life yeah that that sounds like an that sounds like a really interesting and I would imagine very uh very very draining and emotional part of your job so you're dealing with people that are moving towards the end of life at home yeah it's a lot of, it's really weird because it's we, we're obviously dealing with people um, from that point of diagnosis, which is really, really, you know, destroying for, for the, the patient, for relatives, uh, friends, you know, anyone who's involved in that person. It's that kind of like we're, the, we're their parachute, I suppose, to really catch them and just to kind of put into perspective what that diagnosis means to them. Um, obviously what what we can facilitate in the community or we can liaise between different uh, trusts like if a patient has had a diagnosis that perhaps isn't well known um, we can liaise with different 
hospitals, um, different services to try and get them a bit like a second opinion if that's what they wanted. Um, and also, you know, to kind of listen to their needs, their expectations, their fears, their thoughts. Um, and that kind of get those wishes down, you know, what do they want? Um, and we just try and keep that going till the end. You know, they don't have to keep repeating themselves. We keep it all um, in their notes, in their homes. So as long as they can sense that information being shared, it just means if they do need physio, specialist nurses, specialist doctors, uh, therapists, anything like that, it's all contained in their care plan i suppose um yeah. yeah we liaise with local hospices um not just for dying people but for people who've had a debilitating illness condition disease anything that's like a progressive pro progressive disease so it's that kind of keeping that communication going really and just trying to make patients aware that they're not on their own because actually at the moment, especially, it's really isolating people out there who have conditions. And, um, you know, it's just to kind of remember that we're here. <laughs> we're not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And, and just just on, on that again, Lou, and why, why I really wanted you to come on and speak to us today was because I know it, it links in well with, with the, the theme of the podcast that we're doing, Happiness. You're trying to provide that last... Uh, last breath of happiness really for people that are extremely extremely ill um yeah. how does that how do you think that affects you personally when you're dealing with that I think you kind of you, you naturally as human beings we go into a situation and you see a person in pain or you know having a hard time with something and you naturally you know reflect on how I would feel what would I do if this was me if this was my spouse if this was my parent my child even so you really kind of reflect on what my needs would be um but then it's and then at the same time it's really difficult because you need to promote the patient's needs like we had a patient she lived she was young she was a young patient she lived in a really busy busy household um lots of children lots of grandchildren it was a young as I say she was only in her 50s she was young um and every time we went it seemed really chaotic in that house and we were really aware that it was probably too chaotic to you know to pass away but actually that's it, it that was our fears, you know, and, and our um, interpretation of what was going on when really that's what she wanted. She wanted to be in the midst, midst of her family, you know, the dog going and the cat there and, you know, telly blaring. That was normality for her. Um, and so we, we respected that and we realised actually we probably wouldn't get that kind of peace to have that like these conversations but that was her choice so we used to obviously give her that opening that if she wanted to speak to us in private that she could but at the same time we didn't want to push her you know we wanted to yeah. kind of you know we wanted to keep her wishes as close I, as, as, as she wanted so I understand. How, how do you how do you deal with that yourself though when you're dealing with these people and watching them go through some obviously really difficult times. How does that how does that affect you? How do you deal with that? 
Well, because we take the patient on, I mean, we could take the patient on from the point of diagnosis. So it could be uh, within the last 12 months of life. So you really build up a real therapeutic relationship with these people and their family. So when they get to that stage, um, you do take it on. It does really affect you. And I think I just don't hide how I feel, really. I mean, I think the fam I think it's nice for families and patients to see that you are a human being, you know, and you you do understand how they're feeling. And I'm not saying that you should be crying your eyes out, but I'm but like you should you need that emotion to keep it real and to keep it organic and you know, to show them that you have got their um, you know, that your intentions are always good and you know what's the word i suppose you've got to be transparent and i and i yeah. think you can't do it any other way really you've just you've just you know you can't if people ask my opinion then i'll give it but i certainly wouldn't um go forward and start you know yeah. telling people what to do you know i mean it, it's a, it's a, and it's a, it's grief is so um complex because the really the patient and the family they're all at different points of it so you've got the patient who could be come to terms with it and they're ready to die but the family aren't ready they haven't interpreted it so it's that kind of really difficult to get that balancing act of um you know not taking over and you and it would be really easy to feel quite ghoulish like you're like a bit of a spectator at that point in someone's life so I think it's just that you know when it is the final couple of days um you know and the patient is sadly unconscious I just kind of do what I need to do and then step back and encourage the family to kind of take on that spirituality um you know any any of those needs making sure they're getting met so get I encourage music like you know what what does the patient what what did they like what was their favorite music get it on the radio you know, get it on the stereo play it you know talk about the funniest times the best times what are your best memories and um you know to have that kind of interpretive touch like encourage them to touch the patient because i think people they all sit around the rooms like and you know you're like of irish descent it's that kind of sorry for your troubles and everyone sat around the room the backs against the walls so it's that kind of like let's just try and get everyone in but yeah myself it's you know i kind of have a professional head on i have a huge human head on but then i just shut the door and have a little cry in the car to be honest and just kind of like have a big long walk after work or talk about it reflect on how i behaved you know how could it have gone better how it's amazing it, it's absolutely amazing what what you're saying and just how you you deal with that yourself yes being from an irish family i uh i'm well accustomed to the the way that death is dealt with and you know going to an irish wake is a is a, an <laughs> eye-opening experience and i'm just thinking back to uh, a series that billy Connolly did on uh, on death uh, he he was going around the world just trying to see how different cultures dealt with death, and it's just a really funny thing that people don't really think about it. We we try we try to disguise those feelings or that thought process, and not really face face up to it. But you seem to be you seem to be dealing with that on a on a daily basis, Lou. It's crazy because it's like we talk about birth, 
you know what is what's what's the perfect birth I want you know this is my experience of birth we have all these conversations we talk about marriage this is my perfect with my perfect wedding day you know but when it comes to death it's like this total taboo subject and it's insane because it's going to happen to all of us and actually like there was um there's a there's, I think it's a charity there's like a there's, there's, there's a web page called Dying Matters and they had a, a dying, like this, this awareness week basically to try and encourage people to have these conversations. So it's just keeping them channels of communication open of, you know what, while we're fit, while we're talking, while, you know, while, while we're all here, really, like let's have a conversation of what do you want to happen? Where do you want to be? You know, what 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 are your fears about death what is you know we, and we need to kind of open that channel really and and it and take this like maudlin um you know kind of depressive i mean it, it is sad it's terribly sad but you know i think it's in my experience the person who is dying is ready thankful 99% of the time but it's the family who are left behind who are really bereft by it all really and I think that's why we need to keep that communication open because we need to kind of talk about it as a positive experience and that's what we try and do as district nurses and also hospices because we want it to be a positive experience that family are going to come away and be proud of their conduct with their loved one when they've passed away and also be proud of the the service that they've received and you know think actually that was a nice death and, and that it sounds absurd but I wish we would talk about it a little bit more because you know I think there's so we've there's so many conditions I mean we've got we've got more now with long Covid but we've got so many debilitating diseases conditions and all of this and it's we don't know what's around the corner you know none of us know what's going to happen and I think it it's just a sensible thing to do but also it's the kind of responsibility we've all got to tell our loved ones what we want and even if it's just as basic as I want to be cremated then we need to say it you know because it's it's a lot for families to take on that pressure um at that time I think we just need to really yeah we just we just need to just keep it open and keep it light and I mean there's a lot of people that they're not they're perhaps not religious um but then in a time of death they are religious and actually they, they do want the priest there or the imam or the, the vicar or whatever whatever they want um you know and it's really important that those needs are heard so what I mean what we have is a um, supportive care pathway at work and we encourage the patients to fill it out themselves so it's just got really basic information like you know are you religious you know what what do you would you would you prefer to pass away at home or would you go, prefer to go in the hospital just like really practical questions and we get the families and hopefully with the use of that book it will facilitate a conversation between people that's hopefully what we, we try and do it for but if not you know we try and we try and encourage a conversation which people are going to be open to it but it just takes different different points and you know it's so especially I think 
with diagnoses, doctors don't, I don't know whether it's a kind of jargon thing, a language thing, an understanding thing, I'm, I'm not sure, or the patient just doesn't want to listen to it, but it's, it's important that actually that avenue is given in healthcare, that patients can just have that frank conversation that perhaps they couldn't talk about with consultants, with doctors um, and others, I suppose. I think that was I think that was really sensitively put, Lou. It's uh, it it really is a difficult subject to to address. Um, did what did you want to ask? You were going to say something? Yeah, no, I was just going to ask, tell Lucia that um, that I think what people need is to open up the dialogue about a death. That's something in our society that's not really a, it's not an open dialogue, isn't it? But I wanted to go. Um, a bit further down our conversation and asks uh, Lucia something a bit more personal to herself, which if that's okay with you, Lucia. Go for it, okay. go for it. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, uh, have you ever reached a point where you realized that you wanted to make some lifestyle changes? And can you elaborate upon how you went about making those changes for us, please? Yeah, I have these conversations every day with myself. Um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think really, I think it's really important, even though it's a vocational job that I have, it's really important to kind of have that like cut off point with it because it is really all consuming when you're there. And um, one of my lifestyle changes is to just not take that home with me, and it's it's been really hard and it's been a skill that's taken me such a long time and I don't always get it right at all because some days yeah, I, I was gonna I was gonna interject Lou and just say how, how do you do that how do you not manage to take it home it's just difficult I mean I'm just I mean luckily I've got the kids that I've got that kind of you know that I suppose to, it's really difficult really I suppose I've got the kids to kind of escape and just forget about things but then at the same time I am terrible I check messages when I'm not at work you know and I'm on the what it's very I think with in the era that we're, that we're in at the moment with technology you never quite clock off from work and it's it's really negative on your mental health and I think it's really important to kind of shut the phone down um but I'm just really conscious that I just need to support my team at the same time but selfishly I try and shut that down um I just get out on my own and I go for walks I do do that just to switch off put my headphones on and um you know listen to my music that's a massive massive thing still even if I just go in the shower just have a cry in the shower listen to my music or an argument in the shower. I mean, we all do that. It's not do you think, Lucia, do you think that's something that uh, that that everybody needs to really think about? Because because when I try and do that, sometimes I feel I feel as you've said, I'm being really selfish. But yeah. do you think do you think really we need that selfish time yeah. sometimes? We definitely, definitely, definitely do. I think we're all really important to so many people. You know, we're all a son, a daughter, a wife, a husband, father, mother, you know, friend, cousin, we're all these things, but actually it's really, it's really easy to just get lost of what you need and, um, you know, what, 
what do you need today? You know, because you're kind of like asking if everyone else is okay. But, but you know, I think it's you just need that time out. And what do you like doing? What 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 do you need? And if that, you know, what just get out there, put your headphones on, go for a swim, go for a walk, catch some muscles like Didier. That's that's my dream. <laughs> yeah, get to the gym, Didier. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Go to the gym and get some muscles. No. Um, yeah, I, I think, I, I really think mental health is just, um, it's really good that we're having this conversation. I think the pandemic has really, really helped that. Um, you know, having that, you know, openness, I suppose. And it's okay not to be okay. And you can kind of, you know, have that frank conversation. I'm I mean, at work. I mean, if ever if ever there was a video at work, I mean, we'd all be struck off immediately because, like, our handover is kind of our, like, um, <laughs> literally our handover of how we're feeling. And sometimes it's not very pretty. There's tears, there's swearing, there's everything, but it's it's a safe place. You say what you want, you get it out, and that's it. And then hopefully you're coming home at the end of the day and you feel you're not carrying that burden at home, which is... Yeah, it's 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 one of those frontline jobs. Um you obviously you uh you went to school and, and are still really good friends with my partner Alice and you you know she's she's a police detective so she she deals with a lot of stress at work and sometimes the stories she tells me of how they deal with it I think I think somebody would make a great a great sitcom I'm sure I'm sure Mr Bean what you call him Rowan Atkinson has already done that I think he's made a great sitcom about it but I think because you're on that front line you, yeah. really, you experience some really harsh things. And yeah. I that's that's what me and Dids are really interested about. You know, you've been explaining a little bit of that, but just really how do you how do you put up one of the people we interviewed the other week, uh, a midwife, she was telling us she has like a Teflon cover that she just lets everything bounce off it. Do you, do you feel that you have to get that way yourself and become quite no. I think because yeah. she's still the best. You see the best and the worst of people, Dave, all the time. We did just, and you know as well. You know, it's Alan did you long you've all you've all been, you know, in so many public facing roles that the general public are crackers, and I'm including myself in that. Well, you know, but you've just got to kind of. It's none of it is personal. I think at the moment, emotions are really heightened. I think expectation is huge um, for what, I think social media has given people a platform and a voice and sometimes it's not been for the, the good of humanity because it's that kind of, this is my opinion and I'm going to tell you what exactly what I think. We're going to get onto the big uh, Donald Trump debate soon that, uh, that my, I had to cut my brother short <laughs> on the other week. Uh, Neil obviously lives in America and uh, I started asking about it. Me and Dids were saying we could probably do a whole new episode on this. Mm. <laughs> it's craziness. Mm. Yeah, you, I mean, you have got to kind of, whatever, whenever it's, it gets insulting and it's the worst of people, I suppose, <laughs> I just don't take it personally because, you know, it's not, people are, people are angry, people are sad, people are just generally fed up. And do you know what? When they're having a rant, in my head, I'm actually nodding, agreeing with them. I mean, obviously, I'm not nodding to their face, but like, I am thinking, you got a point there. You got a point. So I just don't, don't take it personally. But saying that, 
I mean, when when it's when something really nice has happened, um, you know, you just I don't know. It's just nice. You feel really privileged in that kind of, um, you know, to be to be in that role really. So it's I wouldn't change it for the world, but it's just it is exhausting. But it's great. It's great. <laughs> it's good. It is good. <laughs> but no, I think it's um. You know, it's just as long as I'm, I just try and make a difference to one person every day. And I'm not saying that in a really sycophantic crap way, but it's just I don't know. I just think it's it's just nice to be nice sometimes. And I think we 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 don't get a lot of that. And you know, we all we all have crap days, but you've just got to remember that actually some people just need a bit of kindness sometimes, even the rat bags. So just just give it up. Brilliant. Um, that's brilliant advice to try to help one person a day. I think is a is the Dalai Lama said that once that if you can have one person every day, you can have the whole world. So, so fair play, fair play for that. It's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, we are getting towards the end of the show, and uh, before um, I always ask, like to ask people about their favorite book or uh, or their favorite movies that changed their life. So. So what's 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 actually uh, moved you in your life, Liam? Um, I have a book. Come on then. This book is going to change everyone's life. It is. It's really sounds really depressive. It's called uh, "With the End in Mind," and it's by it's "How to Live and Die Well," basically, and it's by Catherine Mannix, and she's a palliative um, care consultant, and it's just brilliant. It's just like really refreshing read to read something that's going to happen to every everybody and it's really sensitive and you know it's just a really positive book and I think everybody should just read it it's not about death as such it's just about you know what while we're here what difference can we make so mm. it's really good definitely definitely think everyone should read it definitely Lucia, that's an absolute winner. I'm going to make a point of reading that. One of the it's final. Really good, one of... <laughs> Say again, buddy. It is really, it's really, really good. It is really good. I'm I'll, give give it it... A... I'll give it a go, mate. Uh, I just want to finish off with uh, something that we always we ask people when they're on. Uh, what are your top three tips if you're going to going to help anyone who might be feeling they need to make change in their personal life or circumstances? What would you say are your top three tips? um oh god well i mean there's like the there's the ones that i should really be giving out and then the ones that i actually live by so i'll just give the ones that i probably live by which is you know don't take it too seriously you know i, I believe that things are mapped out do you know what i mean you can't you can't plan you know is it what is it, is it john lennon who says you know, life is what happens when you're making plans or something. And that's so true. You know, you you have all these big ideas of what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And actually, you know, we need to be living in the here and now, I suppose. But yeah, definitely be nice to people. Laugh every single day, whatever you're doing. Even if you're having a really crap day, fake it till you make it. Keep laughing because you will laugh by the end of the day. And... The third one, oh, I don't know. Um, I think I don't know. <sighs> Good so far. 
I think, I mean, I would say drinking Aperol spritz, but I'm not going to say that. Um, what about what about throwing in some some crisps? <laughs> I know you like I know you like crisp butter. Uh, how about walking? Right. Mention you walk a lot. <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah, do you know what? Do a job that you love. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. You know. It doesn't matter how much you earn. It doesn't matter. Just do. Life's too short. Just do what you want to do. That's I really believe that. Support everybody in whatever they want to do. As long as it's what they what they want, then I fully support it. A hundred percent. Lucia, it's been amazing to speak to you, and hopefully we'll be able to get you back on real soon. Thanks so much for your time. We're going to say goodbye now. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Lucia, for coming on board. Thank you, babe. <laughs> Let's do it again. Let's do it, Let's do it every week. Ah. <laughs>